Harry Callahan, a.k.a. Dirty Harry, is considered by critics to be cinema's prototypical rogue cop. The original film was released in December of 1971, and in honor of its 50th anniversary, we recorded a playback review to try and capture some of that gritty 70s goodness of that first installment. Dirty Harry stars Clint Eastwood in the titular role, but it features an array of familiar character actors, including John Vernon, famously from Animal House, cast as the mayor, as well as Harry Gardino and Albert Popwell, both of whom you'll recognize from other Eastwood movies. In our playback review, Swain and I discussed the look, feel, and sound of Dirty Harry, a la its director, Don Siegel, where Clint Eastwood's career was at the time when he took this iconic role, some of the things Dirty Harry did first in the action crime subgenre, and of course, lots of juicy trivia. I'm Adrian Johnson. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all of this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But while you're considering your next move, check out our playback review of the 1971 action crime classic, Dirty Harry. And then ask yourself, do I feel lucky? Well, do ya, punk? And then also, too, Don Siegel. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Siegel, if you're familiar with him, he does like very. He does action movies, but they're they're like real real taut. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. real tight, not low budget, but he's not going to wow you. It's yeah. like real, just tight, just solid. That's mm-hmm. that's when I think of Don Siegel, it's solid. And um, him and um, Eastwood had like five collaborations together. That was. His guy and Eastwood learned from him and Siegel Mo- movie making and directing yeah. and all of that. Yeah, exactly. So Siegel was the one who was kind of instructing him. Well, if you're going to direct, let, let me show you the ropes okay. and kind of encouraged him on that front. Yeah. So and and Eastwood, you know, really credits him as being a strong mentor and a good friend on that front too. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So and and it shows. It shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so on this episode, we are going to talk about the 50th, the 50th, it's been 50 years since this movie has come out, and that movie is Dirty Harry. Hey, Swiss, I got a question for you. What's that? Do you feel lucky? (laughs) Well, do you punk? (laughs) You know what? You know what? The thing that got me with that was, in this recent rewatch, was... Uh I didn't realize that he actually does it twice as a coda. Yes. Well, he does it the first time with uh, Albert Popwell as the bank robber. Yeah. And he says, you know, "Ah, do you feel lucky, huh, punk? With a smirk. Yeah, you know, and and all this excitement, I've forgotten myself. Like like the whimsy, that was the whimsy part of it. All this excitement. (laughs) Oh, shit, I forgot myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he does it later on with Scorpio, Andy Robinson's character, yeah. That's when he really that's when he puts it 
punk. It's you know? vengeance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's really he's really into it. So absolutely, absolutely, and I'm glad you caught that, man. You yeah, know, because it really is a coda, just as you described it. You know, and that singular line too has just become so just magnanimous. Mm-hmm. You know, just if you even utter just a part of that. And the funny thing is, most people misquote it. I misquote it all. I the misquote time. it all the time yeah. too. Until <laughs> until you corrected me several years ago, whenever we had an. Uh, it was I don't know when we had a, a conversation where it came up. Yeah. Until you corrected me, I didn't realize that I, that was the part I was leaving out is, is in all this excitement, I've forgotten myself. Exactly. And then he goes into the, but do you feel like, do you punk, you know, and he, and he finishes it up. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And probably that line has only been bested by Make My Day. Oh, yeah. That's the one that just, like, mm-hmm. you know, just became, like, you know, ubiquitous, like you say. So Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like I mentioned, um, this is the 50th anniversary of Dirty Harry. Um, it actually opened, believe it or not, right near Christmas, December 23rd, 1971. Really? Like, who would think that Dirty Harry right. Christmas movie? What? But 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 that probably played into audiences and people being available to go see movies. Mm. You know, the week of Christmas is like everybody's looking for a movie to go see, and that was really the only entertainment back in the seventies, other than television and radio yeah, and sports sporting events. Yeah. So it was a big deal to go see, and Clint Eastwood was a pretty He's big a star at that yeah. time. You're right. I mean, he had done all. Not all the westerns, but he had done a good bit of the westerns that he was famous for at this point. Uh, all the, I think, the Fistful movies. Yes. Um, he hadn't done Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh no, that's had, much later. That was much later, and something else. But he was a star. And he was like what forty years old, maybe. Yeah, like he was right reaching that that the apex, the prime mm-hmm. of where he was like really feeling himself. You know what I'm saying? And this is the movie that really jettisons him. He was already a star. Mm-hmm. And this made him into a superstar. This yeah. put him into that upper echelon, you know. And it also, to me, I think it also drove him to um, becoming a director as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, it opened near Christmas, uh, December 23rd, 1971. It's directed by his good friend and mentor, director Don Siegel, mm-hmm. and both of them. You know, had five collaborations together, and all those are solid, solid movies. I'm a Don Siegel fan, for Mm -hmm. sure, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it stars, obviously, Clint Eastwood as Inspector Harry Callahan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have Andy Robinson as the (laughs) maniacal hippie (laughs) Scorpio. I I have some opinions of of the character of Scorpio, but go ahead. Because I don't think we even find out his name in the movie, do we? No, they never. They never say his name. Yeah, yeah. they never prescribe him a name. It's just him. Or he goes by Scorpio. Right, right. (laughs) And um, Rennie Santoni as Chico Gonzalez. And and, and let us not forget from Animal House. John, John Vernon. John as, Vernon. As the mayor. John oh. Vernon as the mayor. Again, not giving a name. He's just the mayor. <laughs> well, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. 
And did you know, in 2012, it was actually um, selected for preservation by the Library of Congress for mm-hmm. being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Yeah. Which I think is is giving it its due. Yeah. Because it, across the landscape of, um, of Americana since then, um, not just in movies, but in overall culture, it's... F- it's pretty amazing how much Dirty Harry has resonated. Yeah. You know, saying not just the lines, not just Eastwood himself, but a whole a whole attitude um, about policemen mm-hmm. and even policemen themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How they operate and everything, mm-hmm. too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's funny because I was trying to think about my first time seeing this film mm-hmm. and... I clearly, as a, because this movie came out in 71, so, yeah. you know, I was like five years old. So I didn't see it until seven or eight years later, well into, you know, the uh, Magnum Force. Maybe, okay. maybe The Enforcer might have been the first one I saw all the way through mm-hmm. with, what's the actor who played uh, Cagney and Lacey? Tyne Daly. Tyne Daly, yeah, yeah. Tyne Daly. And oddly enough, Albert Popwell shows up again. <laughs> That's that's his boy, yo. Man, but you're talking about Albert Popwell. Oh, my God. In Magnum Force, when he shows up as the pimp, it's just like, oh, come on, Albert. Come on, bro. Hey, man, Albert was trying to get a job. I'm not trying to get a job, man. But I think as a kid, I was already more aware of Dirty Harry as a pop culture reference. Then I knew who he was in the films and, and you know, the, the road cop aspect of it, any of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I just because, you know, people would reference it on variety shows and in TV shows and it would be parody already modern day parodies. Not, you know, not even to speak to like films that came after this. Yeah. That essentially were copying the model of a, of a dirty Harry or road cop. So, yeah, really interesting. But go ahead. And- yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um and the thing with Dirty Harry also is that, you know, ironically, I don't know if you've considered this or if anybody's really considered this. Um, the irony is, is that Dirty Harry was uh, produced by Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And in the 30s, Warner Brothers was known mostly for like gangster movies, mm-hmm. you know, The Public Enemy, Little Caesar, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how in like the very late 60s, going into the 70s, it becomes known for these police thrillers, you know, like Bullet. Uh, Dirty Harry, mm-hmm. Magnum Force, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like Bullet and then Dirty Harry are kind of the progenitors of this whole genre of road cop police thriller. Mm-hmm. But it's really Dirty Harry that takes that model, solidifies it, and there's so many offshoots of it, you know, things that become cliches almost. No, not almost. They have become cliches. Absolutely. And tropes of of this type of movie. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we'll actually get into some of that uh, later on in another conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, well, let's get down to brass tacks, man. What did you think about the movie? I know you said you rewatched it again. Yeah. So, uh, rewatched the movie. And for anybody who's never seen it, I mean, you know, it is a 50-year-old movie. So, there are going to be some younger people. Mm-hmm. You know who are who have little to no interest, but it is about an inspector in San Francisco works for the San Francisco Police Department 
who is tracking a crazed kind of a serial killer who goes by the name of Scorpio. And many of the elements uh, from Scorpio or the sense of the character are lifted from the real life crimes of a serial killer called Zodiac. Yes. Who uh, operated in Northern California from like 68 to 69, just like about a year. Yeah. So, you know, he's tracking them down and Harry is a rule breaker. He is someone who is seeking justice at any cost. He will ignore Miranda. He will ignore, you know, uh, warrants. He will ignore all these things to get his man. And he's ultimately trying to track Scorpio. Mm -hmm. But um, in rewatching the movie, I thought, you know, one, as with any Clint Eastwood movie, like you talk about him and Don Siegel being his mentor as far as, you know, learning about filmmaking. Yeah. Because I think Eastwood had actually directed Play Misty for me. You're right. Before this, that was his directorial debut. That's correct. But if you look at Play Misty for me, you look at this movie, you look at uh, his movie Bird with uh, Forrest Whitaker, Mm -hmm. the jazz, you know, the jazzy score follows him in everything. And that was something that they did a lot in the 70s. But that was the thing I was really struck by was the jazz score in the beginning. The first 10 minutes of the movie, all you see is Scorpio... Kill this woman in the swimming pool yeah. with this goofy death scene where she kind of whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. but but you know there's no there's no talking they just show you what's going on and then you know it's completely silent credits and eventually you see Harry you know go to, to the crime scene and then eventually the movie kind of starts but I thought that the if you watch any movie from the 70s the violence is always grittier yes. Yes. It's always more realistic. You know, in the 80s, action violence became more popcorn-y. It, it gets a sheen to yeah. it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. almost like a Spielbergian kind of a, yeah. a where, it, you know, it becomes a little glossier, yep. a little more wondrous and like, oh, this isn't violence. This is, you know. It's almost like 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 a very, very realistic cartoon, right, if you will. Right, yeah. but not like real stakes as opposed to. Like when Scorpio uh, essentially lures Harry to, mm. I guess it's like a, a cemetery. Yeah. And, you know, makes him face the cross and then butts him in the head with that gun and knocks him down and then beats kicks him. the shit out of yes. him. Yes, beats him. Yes. Beats him to the point where, and so like afterwards you see him with the his, his mouth is screwed up because he can't talk and he's got the thing on his ear. And, you know, he's got like a partial concussion. And so you really do get a sense of the brutality of the beating mm. that he took. In an action movie from the 80s, you get popped with the gun, you get dragged off, and then three minutes later, you beat up a whole room full of guys and escape again. You know what I mean? A flash wound. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought about the grittiness of the violence. Um, I love the jazzy score, which is something I think is effective for a taunt thriller, as you you actually mentioned uh, earlier before we started recording. Well, you you need to credit that to the man who really was the early 70s, Lalo Schifrin. Okay, okay. Oh, man. (laughs) This, uh, Magnum Force, Enter the Dragon, Bullet, Think about the score for all those movies. That's your boy Lalo Schifrin, man. Lalo Schifrin. He is a key ingredient to me for those movies, man. Okay, okay, okay. Um, But the... uh, a lot of the really wonderful 70s character actors, I love seeing their faces. John Vernon as the mayor. Yes. John Larch as uh, the uh, lieutenant. Mm. Um, even um, uh, the uh, the district attorney, uh, Joseph Summer. Yeah. Joseph Summer, who shows up and has shown up in other things. But seeing those characters, um, 
I'd say this much. I thought the the the, the screenplay was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the direct some of the directing choices by Siegel. I, again, you know, having not seen this in a long time, the shot of when he chases uh, Scorpio down onto the football field and he shoots him, and he's standing over him, and Scorpio is begging in that in that <laughs> wussy ass way. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and then he steps on his leg, and then they do that really cool oh, helicopter man. shot yeah. where it's up close, and then it backs up and it backs up and it backs up and it backs up and it backs up, and then you see the, you know, the expanse of the football field, and they're the only two figures on it. And um, and I, I thought that was a, a cool choice. Um one thing that I thought was interesting in terms of again, this being one of the forerunners of a particular kind of movie that becomes popular after this was, yeah. you know, like for instance, uh, this is the time where we see the hardened kind of jaded experienced cop mm. who gets a new partner that he doesn't want. Right. Of course, that partner ends up getting shot or killed. Yes. Just like <laughs> as, his previous partner. Exactly. <laughs> as does happen with, uh, and, and, you know, Anyway, I'll get to that part of the other part in a second. But um, the angry mayor who's always kind of chiding and, and pissed off about this rogue inspector who, you know, is getting him in trouble. Mm. You know, this is the first time we see, as we saw in Lethal Weapon, where this weird, jaded, crazy kind of cop has to go deal with a jumper on the roof. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah mm. you know, and and then the last bit was, and I didn't remember this until the rewatch. This is probably one of the first times where, and I mean, and again, this is a 70s movie, so it's not like Terminator. It's not like Beverly Hills Cop. It's not like any of those movies that come along later. But the third act, the final sequence, you know, he's chasing. This is the first time we see, like, the the hero chasing the bad guy through a factory Mm. or uh, some kind of industrial mine or whatever. You know where he's chasing him up the stairs and, and you, shooting, and, it's shoot, a and, you, battle, and yeah. you see the the buckets hanging, and then you know Harry gets on the uh, the conveyor and comes up the conveyor like <laughs> like Arnold like Dark Arnold and T two, you know, or you know other things, you know, you, you know you, where you see that happening where they make use of a of a particular set and say, well, what can we do with this to make it interesting and not just hmm. he chases somebody down, and it's kind of the first time that I recall, I guess. Seeing that, I believe, but, you're right, yeah. But anyway, just in a general sense, I enjoyed it. Like a lot of seventies movies, I mean, it's a thriller. You know, it's a cops and robbers thriller. You know, so you're every sequence is tight, yep. tight, 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 tight together, so that you never, you never lose your interest. Um, even in the quieter moments, like after Gonzalez gets shot and you meet his wife, and. Yeah. And Harry's talking to what was it, Dirty Dirty May or Dirty Mary or somebody. Mm. Um, you know, even that part of yeah. it. Um, oh, the other thing I thought, and again, I'm thinking, is this a real first or is this my mind? Just when he jumps on top of the bus from on, uh, from the overpass. That's a first. 
is that the first time we've seen a cop on yeah, top of the car, on top of car yep. yeah, or a vehicle and, yes. and they're shooting in the roof of the car? We've seen that 150 times, a That's thousand right. times since then. That's but right. this might be the first, you know. Yeah, and he reprises it in Magnum Force as well, hanging on top of the right, car. Right, right, yeah. exactly. But this is the first, exactly. Yeah. So, so like you're intimating, man, this really is the first of a whole genre of mm-hmm movies mm-hmm. a long a long lineage of these type of movies you know what i'm saying and you know a lot of the uh cliches that you mentioned too and and they only became cliches you know after dirty hair right and i think that's what that's what still makes the movie exciting too is the tautness of it mm-hmm. but also the the fact that you're seeing a lot of these things presented for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, because as with Hollywood, anything that is successful, they're going to start trying to piecemeal and leech off of it and say, well, we can use that little bit here. We can use that over there. Right. You know, put this in that in that script. Or like trying to do a copycat, but not really having the talent to know, well, what's really making this work? Mm-hmm. You know, what's really driving this with audiences where they're really just eating it up? Oh, it's just the surface elements. It's just get like with Tarantino in the nineties. It's just bad guys just talking snappy. Well, it's not just talking snappy and 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 having these mundane conversations. There's a little more to it than that. It's more it's more specific. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And and, and you know the other thing, the other um, trope or cliche that you know I just thought about as well is is the cliche of the loner road cop whose wife has passed away or somehow. He doesn't mention the circumstances, but just that we know that his wife is dead. Okay. You know, you see that in Lethal Weapon as well with Riggs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it men- it's mentioned in there that she died in a car accident or right. something like that. And later because it gets explained in, in Lethal 2. Exactly. And even in Unforgiven, you know, Bill Money, mm-hmm. I think was his character, his wife passes away. So this might even be like one of the first examples of like fridging or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> fridging the wife, you know. <laughs> but but it kind of gives them it's a contributor to that edge that they have. It's right. Like they're they're almost God's lonely man, you know, right. dispensing this justice or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how in the sequels they give uh Dirty Harry like love interest, you know. Right. Like in Magnum Force, the girl across the hall just comes up to him and was like why does somebody have to do it again in bed with you? Like, damn. Is that easy? <laughs> Late 70s was off the chain, I yo. So. And, you know, and Harry's like, well, all you got to do is just ask. Right. <laughs> Holla at your boy. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny, man. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Uh, it being a 70s movie, mm-hmm. you know, to me, this is unofficially part of, like, that Hollywood, that Hollywood new wave, you know, in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, even though Eastwood and uh, Don Siegel, they're established talents. They're not fresh, you know, like a lot of the new talent that were coming in with these new wave movies, mm-hmm. you know, I still consider it part of that new wave because it did usher in a, another type of crime movie. As far as like these rogue cops. Yeah. 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 And that and that's that's what I would say as well. You know, Siegel had been around for years. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, you know, he did the original invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. in the fifties. Yeah. Um later after this he ends up doing Escape from Alcatraz with uh Clint Eastwood. Oh, one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah. And he he does the shootist as well. Yeah, which was John Wayne's last film. Yeah, yeah. So he had been around a long time. So like Adrian was saying, he's you know, he's a seasoned guy. 
in uh, Eastwood was 40 years old when he was cast in this particular movie. So mm-hmm. he had done quite a bit as well. But I think you're right. I think that um, these films did usher in a different type of protagonist or uh, uh, anti-hero to a certain extent. And that was the fresh introduction to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that that's that was its big its big cont- contribution. And also, I think that you know uh, this movie comes along at a time when, uh, for instance, uh, crime in urban cities was on the rise. Yeah. Muggings, violent crime, uh, kidnappings, you know, this is all before cameras in the streets and all before instant communication like we have today. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no Internet. You know, if somebody's fingerprints and blood are not on file somewhere, you can do pretty much anything you want. And we also at this particular time in the 70s, we, we don't see serial killers had been around for decades. But we start to see the term serial killer be coined in the 70s mm-hmm. and also the rise of them in in a media sense of being giving them names like Zodiac or the and BTK killer, BTK or, yeah. or uh, the co-ed killer. Yeah, the uh, Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. So these kind of mythic, you know, dark world figures as serial killers. So people, you know, are not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And so thus, the idea of a guy who comes along who seems to get results, albeit, again, Miranda's thrown out the window, warrants are thrown out the window, you know, follow the rules are thrown out the window, and but people were kind of hungry for it. Mm. And so I that particular idea probably doesn't live, it doesn't live as well today, it doesn't age very well, you know, in today's climate. But at the time, it worked. So it's one of those things where they come along with this particular script. And I don't know, did you do any any background reading on the making of the movie and the development yeah. of it? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll probably get into some of that later. But um, but there's a reason why, you know, it's a perfect storm of this particular actor, this version of the script. I think the original script was written by a husband and wife screenwriter Finks. team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the timing of it, you know, being done in the 70s. I mean, chances are it was written in the 60s, late mm. 60s. Mm. But it only went into production in 70 and then came out probably in 1971 is my guess. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you that this this was something new that was that was that was given to uh, to the uh, to the mainstream pop culture. And they were ripe and ready for it. Mm-hmm. And ate it up to the point of, you know, like we said, you will discuss later, you know, just, you know, people who would copy it and, and, and do lesser versions of this kind of character. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that was going to be one of the things that I wanted to ask and bring up, you know, just in terms of the I guess today people watching it would think that, you know, there are some lines in there that are politically incorrect. Oh, super. absolutely. Super. But I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care. I was like, I was I was there for it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But it's so funny how, <laughs> okay, when Scorpio delivers, well, he doesn't deliver it, but when they receive the note from Scorpio, <laughs> I knew that's they're reading it, <laughs> da, 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 and he's going to shoot at these people and then... And you see the N word, and then exactly. the mayor just stops. And is like, I'm, oh, not, I'm oh, not going there. I'm oh. not going there. <laughs> 
Right. But even that, I have that in my notes where I was like, oh, the racism, you yeah. know, where, you know, Harry and, and, and Chico Gonzalez, the most Latin, has Hispanic. I mean, it, it was it's it was as bad as uh, 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 Sean Penn's character in the bad in the movie Bad Boys. Dang. It was like Mick O'Malley. Let me just call him the Mick. The Dang. Mick, yeah. <laughs> like wow, Chico Gonzalez. Okay, how long did it take you to think up that name? Like two seconds. But Harry is introduced to his new partner Chico, and then they end up going down to like the uh, like a lab area, yeah. and the other cops are there, uh-huh. and fast. So the uh, Italian cop is down there, and and Chico says, uh, "So why do they call you Dirty Harry?" And he, and then Fatso says, "Yeah, it's because uh, he doesn't like anybody, niggers, spicks, kikes, Jews, blah 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 blah." And he said, uh, and then Chico, who is Mexican, says, "What? Well, how does he feel about Mexicans?" And then uh, uh, Fatso says, "Yeah, he definitely doesn't like spicks." And then Harry winks at him, says, "Yeah, definitely not spicks." Right. I was like, God damn. But you know what, though? I'm of a mind that, yeah, today that wouldn't fly. Man, please. That would not fly. But it's also one of those things It's like, how can I put it? That's almost a, that's almost a, 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 a male, if I could be specific, a male coworker thing, but you have to be comfortable with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, have worked with them for years and whatnot, and that's how... In some situations, that's how people kind of talk to each other. Like, you know, just just, just being, you know what I'm saying? Just not- so, Sometimes, some, especially like in, in an environment like that. Yeah. You're going to get some fucked up shit that's going to come out. Yeah. And nowadays, I mean, if you want to halt the investigation of the movie to call in Harry before HR <laughs> and Fatso in front of HR, <laughs> which is what would happen today... But the reality is, is, and here's the other thing too. I'll mention. Yeah. Um. Even though Harry was jaded and was dark and was ruthless in his pursuit of justice mm-hmm. and had questionable, you know, opinions of minorities and would definitely take advantage of a situation to, you know, to get the bad guy. Yeah. As the film is being shared with you, you're always on his side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never say, I don't know about that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're always on his side. So that's kind of, even in the blunt racism, even in the, you know, just the pushing of of, of, of the rights of the victim and just all the stuff. The peeping Tom, peeping in the window, yeah. just all of it. <laughs> You never stop being on his side because you know ultimately there's someone who's worse than him out there that he's trying to get. Right. And you want him to get this person. Right. You know, when he shoots that innocent woman who's swimming in the in the pool, you're just like, okay. Oh yeah. You know, so Yeah, and, and then it's like Scorpio does himself no favors. Like his crimes get progressively worse mm. and worse and worse. I mean, he shoots a ten year old boy. Mm. He buries a fourteen year old girl, rapes her first, and then buries her alive. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now let me ask you this. Okay. Now, as mentioned, because I wanted to get your opinion on this. The character of Scorpio, first of all, that he didn't have a name, you know, kind of made him a little bit of a like a two dimensional portrayal of you know this wild bad guy Mm -hmm. and then andy robinson's performance which at times was just hilarious when he stabs him in the leg when harry stabs him in the leg 
<laughs> I was like, he was funny almost. You know, it wasn't supposed to be, but it was. But my thing was, as a villain, he was just not very well written. So he's an excellent sniper. Where he can shoot this woman with a scope rifle, a thirty odd six, a thirty odd six from a, a, in, a in a pool. Uh, then he turns into he's a child killer who shoots the kid in the face. Mm-hmm. Then he turns into a rapist and a kidnapper. Then he kidnaps a busload of school kids. Yeah. Earlier before that, he hits the old man in the face with a bottle and robs ah. him and takes his takes his whiskey. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, most criminals do one thing, not 50 things, not five different things in one movie. Mm. And it just was like, you know, again, if he was a sniper, he was always a sniper. That would make sense. Or if he was a kidnapper and he was always a kidnapper or like um, like Dennis Hopper's character in Speed, where he would blow shit up. He's a bomber. That, he's a bomber. You know, even even the, the character of uh, uh, Jeff Daniels character says. Bombers fall in love with one particular bomb and they're very monogamous. You know, that's how serial killers tend to be the same way. They're usually kind of going on the same kind of track. I thought it was just a little odd. It's like, damn, this motherfucker does it. He does it like a buffet of of villainy, yo. (laughs) But you know what it is, though? I kind of felt like maybe at the time there were similar crimes that happened, you know. And they were just trying to cherry pick them and put them in here. And then that way, collectively... Harry could be the the voice of vengeance to take to take justice for all of this. Right. You know what I'm saying? But in the case of uh, Scorpio, when I saw this as a kid, as a younger kid, man, the part at the football field, this is going to sound weird, it almost made me feel sorry for him when I was a kid. Now, no, right. of course right. not. Step on that leg. Hey, hey. Hey. You know, <laughs> but as a kid, when he starts groveling and like, but I have rights. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh man, come on, come yeah. on, Harry. Yeah, even though, even though as a kid, I knew the stuff that he had he had done earlier in the movie. Right, you know what I'm saying. Right, but speaking to Scorpio as well, he does show a, another side too, where he kind of blackmails Harry. And this is another thing I didn't know until I saw the real version when I was a grown up. Not an edited TV broadcast version. Exactly. Okay. 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 You remember where? Uh, he goes to like this. Um, I, I don't know. Even, I, I don't even know what you would call these type of people. I guess this person would be a a a underground or a black market just hitter. You know, what I'm saying somebody yeah. who just does damage for like maybe somebody if they're trying to get like a workers' compensation claim or something like that. Right. You know well, saying? this guy was probably just muscle. Yeah. He was just somebody that he knew and he was like, Hey, I want to pay you to do this and he knew he you know. Yeah. And he beat the living shit out of that dude. He did. And they never show that on the television version. Like he on on the T V version, he goes down there and the guy's like, Dang, he get hands up two hundred dollars. Man, you really want to get hurt, don't you? Every penny. Every penny. You know, and then, <laughs> and then he goes to it, and they don't show the extent of it. The next thing you know, he's wheeled through the hospital. Who, who did this to you? It was Harry Callahan. Harry Callahan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on the unedited movie version, yeah. that brother was hitting the shit out of yes, him. Yes, yo. And then it was so crazy, he was <laughs> off in the shadows like, like Charles Lightning in the Humpback of Notre Dame. He was like, man, man, I was up there like, man, you sure you want me to stop? Huh? Huh? He was like, 
He's like creeping at Sam. Uh, uh, keep going, you black bastard. And then he's like, what the motherfucker? Oh, hell no. Look, then, then the hitter was like, and this one's on the house. Uh, and kicked him in his head. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. No, that was that was crazy. And uh, and even Harry, when they brought Harry in, he says, you did this to him, Callahan. He's like, no. you knew I didn't do it because he looked too good. Right. <laughs> exactly exactly and that's the type of thing you uh, call back to earlier what you were mentioning about the, the the violence in like those 70s movies right yes he obviously has prosthetics on and all this stuff where he's getting beat up by the hitter or whatever mm-hmm. but it still goes to show you afterwards when he's in the hospital he's all bandaged up and everything to show the extent of he looked like, like the invisible man yo he was yeah. all, he was he was covered from head to toe fucked up you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely that that plays into it that you don't see a lot in, like, modern movies. It's like scenes later, they're they're fine. They might have a small bandage right. or something to show. Oh, yeah, I was heard a couple of scenes back, but I'm right. good now. And by the end of the movie, it might be one Band-Aid or just, like, a, a faint scar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, man, um, with, with Scorpio, to, to kind of close off that part, um. I thought he did what he was supposed to do. You know, just be a representative okay. of, like, crime with a capital C at the time. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Collectively. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I recently rewatched uh, 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 Netflix, Marvel and Netflix's The Punisher, seasons okay. one and part of season two. Mm-hmm. And even rewatching that, you know, the violence in it and the attitudes in it, was like, uh, you know, some of it is a little... Because you can basically turn on the television or pull up the internet every, every day and find out about some violent, you know, criminal asshole, yeah. you know, who shot up a school or some workplace or, you know, somebody who thinks they're doing vigilante justice. That's in the news right now, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And so it really becomes uh, a tougher watch in that regard. But, you know, this is a movie. This is make-believe and, and the characters make-believe. And again... Um, in the seventies, you know, you had someone like Bernard Getz, you know, who, oh, yeah. who is a subway shooter and who, you know, is seen as a vigilante, you know, and vigilantes are certainly different from rogue cops, you know, uh, Bernard Getz and, you know, um, uh, Charles Bronson and Death Wish, you know, that's a different animal. Yeah. And a rogue cop, as you and I discussed, are going to, is going to be different from a corrupt cop. Right. Harry is not corrupt. Mm-hmm. He's not on the take trying to get money. He's not, you know, uh, trying to get blowjobs from prostitutes. He's not, you know, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not planting evidence. He's, he's not, not planting evidence. He's just in pursuit. And when he knows he has the, you know, he has the right person, he's like a hound dog. He's just, he's, he's relentless and he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, chase them down until he, until he catches them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do think that, uh, like you said, that, um, it's funny you talk about the football field scene, and again, this is another one I had forgotten about. You know, uh, props to uh, shout out to Don Eagle, Don Siegel. Yeah. Um, the scene after they find the girl's body, which I didn't realize she was butt ass naked in that hole. Exactly. You know, they pulled her body out and she was completely naked. I was like, oh gosh. Mm-hmm. But that shot of Harry in silhouette against the Golden Gate Bridge with Washington uh, in that soft blue. Yeah, blue. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, that was a good. And and, and, and that score right behind that, that kind of mm-hmm. wavering, just mm-hmm. flute, just yeah. Yeah, that was that was really nice. But 
Um, what did you think of uh, something I was going to ask you? Uh, another of this is something you would see in the 70s. It's not particular to Don Siegel, mm-hmm. where they would have these, I guess they're steady cams, where you see the camera being, it's handheld. Yeah. But it's not handheld like in, not, in modern day directing, if you see a handheld camera movement, it's done for a reason. The scene is supposed to move really quickly, so the camera will actually jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. Or it's brought in when there's about to be an argument or some kind of a conflict. So the, the jitteriness of it is supposed to give you that visually in, in an emotional sense. Yeah. But he would use the the unsteady cam like the ca- a car's driving by and it'd just be like, <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, you know, or Harry's walking in the room into like an official, you know, the mayor's office or something and the camera's following him in and it's all kind of jittery. I'm like, well, that's an odd choice. And then it immediately cuts to a solid stabilized camera shot, you know, maybe like, a, you know, with the two or three people, you know, within the uh, the frame or whatever. But I just thought those were interesting choices. And you do see that a lot in 70s movies. Yes. As a way to tell stories. And I always think it's just an odd choice because people just don't do it today. You know, speaking of that, though, the the whole the whole sequence where Harry's um, being led from payphone to payphone by Scorpio right. through the park and everything. And he encounters muggers. He encounters, you know, just um, people in the park, you know, right. looking for a hookup and everything. Yeah. Like, all the Denzians, if you will, of the night there in San Francisco. Yeah. And it almost lands, and this is the other thing that I love about 70s movies too, is that whatever that film stock is or that, that handheld you know method that you're talking about, mm-hmm. it really lends almost, almost a documentary type feel to it. Yes. Because you know? yes. when Harry's going from yes. like payphone to payphone in, in the darkness and everything, it's just like, man, yeah, like this is, it really enhances the feeling of, yes, he is out there in the dead of night walking around with $150,000 or whatever mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. and Scorpio is putting them through it and then these muggers going to come up and then this other guy is like oh, I was just here looking for a hookup <laughs> Harry's like go home go home <laughs> <laughs> you know what that whole sequence was uh, lifted out of this movie and used in Die Hard 3 was it? remember? no remember the uh, uh, Jeremy Irons character and he's blowing things up and he tells uh, McLean and Samuel Jackson they gotta run from payphone to payphone and then they yeah. gotta get in a taxi and go over here yeah. and then they gotta get somewhere else and go over oh, there oh you're talking and about the, that okay. yeah, they're, they're racing against yes, time yes, to okay. try to get to the next stop and the next payphone and even to the point where Harry gets to the payphone and the old man is on it and the old man answers it and he says uh, who was that that answered the phone and Harry's like I don't know who it was blah blah blah, blah. and then Scorpio hangs up Mm-hmm. Same thing happens in Die Hard 3 where right. Samuel Jackson gets to the payphone first. He says, where's, where's McLean? And he says, ah, he's a little bit out of shape. He'll, he'll get here in time. That was not the bargain. And then he hangs up the phone and then blows up the, the train. So uh, they actually took that sequence yeah. mm-hmm. and used it in uh, in, in DH3, man. So, uh, yeah. yeah, very interesting. But, yeah, exactly. He encounters all the dwellers of the night, you know, the creepy guy looking for a hookup, the muggers, which... You know, nowadays we talk about carjacking and we talk about uh, home invasions. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, but I mean, that was a real thing in the city where you're walking around 
I remember in Chicago, when I lived in Chicago as a kid, you know, my, uh, I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old and I had older cousins who were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I remember our parents, you know, advising them, you know, you don't, don't go to the park, don't go down here or whatever. Cause people would get mugged. You get robbed and get mugged. My uh, grandfather got robbed. Mm. Uh, my father got robbed twice, you know, mm. uh, living on the South side of Chicago. Yeah. So it was a very different world and a very different time. And, um, Anyway, yeah, so it was, it was it was just something else. It was something else. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I guess kind of to, you know, start start kind of wrapping it up, let, let's talk about the legacy of Dirty Harry. Because mm-hmm. there were several sequels, you know, a, a series, if you will, of movies yeah. about the character. Yeah. And, you know, the next one, obviously, the, se- the direct sequel to Dirty Harry is Magnum Force. Now, see, that's my jam. <laughs> that's my jam. That's where you come that's in. That's where I came see? in, and I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, you t- if you're going to talk about, like, 70s goodness, oh, you got, yeah. you know, you got Harry, you got Clint Eastwood as Harry Callahan, you've got David Soul yeah. as one of the rogue cops. Yeah, Tim Matheson. And, Tim Matheson is one of the road uh, cops. General McAllister is General one. McAllister <laughs> is in it. You got Hal Holbrook Yo, who's in it. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, and you said, I guess, Albert Popwell shows back up. As the pimp. So he's in three of these movies as three different characters? Four. He's in four. four. Oh my God. <laughs> he's a sudden impact as well. <laughs> oh, my God. Like that was Clint's guy. I guess so, man. It's like, Clint, you got something for me? Man. Come on, I got you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man, Magnum Force, I think the, the reason why Magnum Force probably works so well is that it's very populist. You right. know, it, and they make an effort to do so because I mean it's written by John Milius and Michael Cimino. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Two two guys who would go obviously on to greater success. You know, they're in Hollywood as directors and screenwriters as well. Mm-hmm. But just from the opening frame, that shit gets me, man. Like the way it opens with like you know Harry holding that 44 Magnum against the red background. Mm-hmm. They got that Lalo Schifrin score. Oh. <laughs> Boy, you want to talk about? Yeah, that's pure seventy. Yeah, hell yeah. And then just the way it um, introduces even more tropes: the convenience store shootout you've seen in every road cop movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a stakeout, and then these these dudes come in and take over the store and everything. Mm-hmm. And then Harry goes out and has to chase them through the store, and he's shooting them and everything. And it's so frantic and everything. It's mm-hmm. like I love that scene. Yeah. Again, you have Harriet hanging on top of a car. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular movie, the cops are the bad guys. Yes. You know, that's where the magnum force comes from. It's like, you know, this lethal force of police officers who are dispensing justice, like street side, street corner justice, street mm-hmm. side justice, pull a car over and shoot somebody in the car and just drive off. Now, how the these detectives don't know. Who would make a person just pull over on the side of the road and then just blast? Who could get them to just stop like that and then just get blasted and not know that they were going to get blasted? Mm-hmm. They should have figured that out a long time ago, but yeah. didn't stop me from enjoying the movie like hell. You oh know? yeah, it's, 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 it's still a great, it's still a great movie, man. Yeah, you know, and it, and it even has the moment in there that almost every type of the every one. Yeah, let me say that again. It still has the moment in there where. The villains of the piece have to offer allegiance to the protagonist. Join us. Yeah, come on. Come on, Callahan. One of us. Come on, Callahan. I'm not like you guys. Yeah. 
I yeah. believe in justice, but I'm not you guys. And and this and that particular movie as a, as a, as the sequel, the official sequel to Dirty Harry, features one of my favorite, one of my other favorite things that that pop up in shoot 'em up movies. What's that? So there's a point in the movie, and I believe it's Tim Matheson's character, mm-hmm. where they go to, if I'm not mistaken, it's a construction site. It's an aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier. And he knocks on the door, and they get a sense of something being wrong, and then it's like, ah, get away from the door, get away from the door. And then they blast the door with the shotgun, and it kills that officer immediately. Yeah. And I always, I mean, that's a weird thing to say you like, but I always... And on the edge of my seat when you know that that's coming. So it happens in that movie. Yeah. It happens in, uh, I don't know if you remember, like in uh, Mother Jugs and Speed. Oh, wow. You, you just plucked yeah. that deep cut, deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> You're still in the 70s, baby. You're still in the 70s. With uh, Bill Cosby and Raquel, Raquel Welsh. Welsh. And, yes. um Bill Cope, I think. Uh, So oh. who was Speed? Was that Bill Cope? I think it might have been Bill okay. Cope. Where he goes to the door of a bunch of junkies mm-hmm. and they shoot him through the door and 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 mother Bill Cosby's character says get away from the door and they shoot him through the door and he dies and then you know and it happens again in other movies that yeah. you see it happened again later on in uh, if you ever get a chance to watch it finally uh, Wind River okay where they go to this house with these guys they know these guys are up to no good. And Elizabeth Olsen's character standing at the door knocking to try to get somebody inside's attention. And everyone else is standing on the ground. And the bad guys are there with the cops and they know what's going to happen. And then one of the, the cops says, get away from the door, get away from the door. And they blast her through the door with a shotgun. But she has on her uh, her oh, vest right. and it saves her or whatever. But uh, that's always like a tense scene where you just know like. You know, because they always kind of forecasted in the directing. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was a long rabbit trail for just a little something that I like. Oh, but it's very particular because yeah, yeah. it's a trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But what came after, was it The Enforcer? It was The Enforcer. Okay. And to me, this is where it starts getting weak. Yeah, diminishing like, returns, sir. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You know, The Enforcer. And what you find is it's like, you know, the movies, um, Eastwood starts addressing the issues in in the movies now. Right. Like with Magnaforce, you know, people were writing in, mostly women, and saying, why doesn't he have a love interest? Right. Thus, he has a love interest now. Right. You know? Um, another thing was like kind of um, some of the perceived racism. And in fact, it even goes back to Dirty Harry itself. Remember in the opening scene, the famous scene where he shoots the bank robbers, and of course, all the guys are black and everything. They are all black? They are all black. Okay, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, obviously Al Popwell, who he gives the speech to, you know. Oh, that's one other thing I had to bring up, sir. Please, please. It was so awful when he shoots Albert Popwell and he says, and he says, hey, do you, do you, you think in five or six, you don't know? Do you feel lucky? Do you punk? And then he, he, and then he takes the gun from Albert Popwell and then Albert Popwell says, I got to know. That's my, like, that's my favorite what, gift. What? I use that gift. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, you do share that gift. I got to know. I got to know. Hey, I got to know. And then Harry clicks the gun. It's like I was already out of bullets anyway. So you know, you actually could have gotten the drop on me if you wanted. But yeah, yo. Um, but yeah. So the after that is the enforcer and of course he gets a female partner yes in this particular movie that he doesn't want and of course she gets shot and killed in the end of the movie yeah because all of his partners have to catch a bullet mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it's him addressing women's lib as well right you know and in fact even she brings it up it's like you know I'm here in the department and you know for women's liberation you know we need to be on the street as well you know what I'm saying 
Now, at this, did, did Enforcer come out in the 70s or the 80s? It came out in 76. Okay, so right, still well before the, the 80s then, still squarely oh, yeah. in the 70s. Mm-hmm, so the, they cranked out, 71 was Dirty Harry. 73 was 73 Magnum. Is, in, is Magnum Force, and then 76. So every two and a half to three years, they made another movie. Yeah, except okay. in uh, the case of the next one, Sudden Impact, that's 83. So you're talking okay. about six years. So, and, but between that, um, Eastwood, he starts making different types of movies. You got the monkey movies. You got Bro- <laughs> the monkey movies. <laughs> Every which way but loose. Yeah. Every which way this and that. <laughs> the monkey movies. <laughs> I mean, did he make two of them? Like, and there what? was definitely a sequel. I was like, dang, it did that well. He yeah. made another one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he did that. He did, you know, uh, a couple of the different movies, like more like dramas, you know, if you yeah. will. Because he was saying, I was watching a documentary. Um, from I think '94 about Eastwood, and he mm. says in there, he says, you know, at some point with the Dirty Harry character, you know, you look back on it, and you know, I've shot hundreds of people on screen, you know, hundreds, and there has to be some type of moral responsibility for doing that, even though it is a character, whatnot. Well, including like the, few, the westerns. Now we're talking about thousands. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. He included those. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Bad. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he was just saying, I just wanted to do. I just wanted to do different types of movies. Right. But I realized that this character was still popular enough that people wanted to see this. So he didn't lose that commercial aspect. Right. People still were hungry for dirty, hairy movies. Right. Even he was smart enough to see that. And the crazy thing is, is that he tries to make other movies with police officers or detectives, so to speak. Right. They are Dirty Harry light. Right. But they don't quite have that same oomph. Right. Gauntlet. Yeah. And tightrope. Tightrope. Yeah. 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 And even later on in the line of fire and things like that. And yeah. 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 You know, so it's almost like. He almost presages that, you know, I would say around Sudden Impact, that's the penultimate. Because mm-hmm. the, the Deadpool, that's a that's a weak movie. Yeah. I, I can't stand that movie. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. But Sudden Impact, that's like the apex, if you will, for that character. They mm-hmm. could have stopped right there and been like, that's the end of Dirty Harry. Right. No more. And I'll say this much, too. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned about him being uh, kind of a star after having played, you know, in the Westerns. Those yeah. Westerns. Those uh, for for so many years prior to this, you know, he was uh, in many ways he kind of led the way for a character for an actor like Sylvester Stallone, where he's known for one thing, Rocky, for mm-hmm. so long, and then all of a sudden he creates a second iconic character in John Rambo mm-hmm. that takes him on any even on another journey, and it's the same thing with Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. where. He plays these Western, these lone, silent, strong, silent Western, you know, drifter type characters, you know, who are, you know, amazing gunslingers. And and you just kind of think, well, that's who he is. He's He may be like John Wayne or like, uh, you know, any of these other actors who are known for this particular kind of a character. And that's it. And then he reinvents himself in a second wave at 40 years old as Dirty Harry. And then those that becomes sequelized after that. The other thing that's interesting to me is he's um, as they sequelize Dirty Harry, you know, in a modern sense, because, you know, modern producers and studios are super lazy. (laughs) They would never, ever, ever do a sequel that didn't reference the original movie with a colon or semicolon after it 
Dirty Harry, the Magnum Force, Dirty Harry, the Enforcer. Mm-hmm. They simply, you know, it's the same character. People just have to go see the movie to know, oh, it's still Harry Callahan in the Enforcer and in Sudden Impact and so on and so forth. Hollywood definitely would have done that in, in if, if it was modern day. It was like, no, no, no. The audience, won't, we have to let the audience know that this is who he is. And I think the other thing, too, is sequels were not super popular in the 70s. Right. So you're really talking about, like, Dirty Harry, uh, The Godfather. The Godfather 2, yeah. And then late later on, Alien and Aliens. Yeah. They didn't really make sequels. That wasn't a thing that people really did. Well, you, you, I mean, they did them, but I mean, in, in, in that period, like, you, you got 150 Charlie Chan movies and yeah. well, all that yeah, those stuff. Those don't even count. That yeah. doesn't even count. But I mean, in a modern sense, like you're talking about Spielberg and, you know, and, and the, the new Hollywood that was starting to emerge in the mid and late 70s, they didn't really make sequels. Not really. Right, exactly. And if they did, they would call it a whole different title and you would just have to know Oh, this features the same character. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't directly like like with Jaws. There was a Jaws 2 in like 78 or so. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But maybe the difference being the idea of trying to make a franchise, which is what right. people are obsessed with now. Oh, yeah. That being different. But I, the th- I guess the point I was trying to get to is, is, again, he is, as an actor, Clint Eastwood as an actor, he is, you know, he sets it up for Stallone and for... Schwarzenegger to have multiple iconic characters that they've played. And even like for someone like in modern day where with like a Tom Cruise, Mm -hmm. where he's, you know, he has all these iconic movies and all these iconic performances and he's a superstar. Yeah. But he realizes that he's never going to be recognized by Hollywood and his peers as an actor. So he resigns himself to, I'm just going to keep cranking out these Mission Impossible movies one after the other, one after the This is going to be my James Bond. This is going to be my uh, Jason Bourne. And he just cranks them out in the similar way, you know, as, you know, uh, Eastwood with this character of Dirty Harry. But even Eastwood at some point realized that, you know, I am getting too old to too do this. Old. Yes. 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 Whereas Tom Cruise, he's never going to admit that. Right. He, he'll still be 60. Probably the next Mission Impossible is going to go to space or something, and he'll be out there for real. Right. Hanging out in outer space. Well, you know he's making a movie in space. Really? Literally, literally making a movie in space. They're going to shoot in space. Oh, my God. This man is literally trying to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> he got a death wish. He does. He does. <laughs> he does. But... Let me ask you this, man, in terms of uh, like now, mm-hmm. do you think, and I guess maybe Punisher might be a version of kind of a rogue or vigilante in modern day who's dispensing justice to those who deserve it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think they could or would do? Are there examples that we're overlooking in modern day of a modern cop who just does oh. what the fuck they want to do? No, and that that ended right about, I'd say, probably the early 2000s, Mm. because obviously the 80s and the 90s are replete with road cop movies. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Just totally. I grew up on them. We we both did. Of course, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But somewhere around like the early 2000s, that kind of starts going out the window, and the way people feel about the police now... Mm -hmm. That that type of movie wouldn't get made. If anything, it would be more corrupt cops. 
You right. see, you see more movies now of corrupt cops, you know, trying to trying to rob the evidence stash. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh man, it's two million dollars in in holding. We got to go get it. You know, or yeah. let's get a crew of corrupt cops and we gonna take down this bank or whatever right. like that. As opposed right. to like, here's a road cop trying to go after somebody, and he's trying to he or she even right. is trying to right that wrong. You don't see that right. anymore. And I think to some extent, in terms of through a modern lens, we look at who uh, perpetrators and who victims are, mm-hmm. and we have a uh, a much more generous opinion as to who, like the kinds of societal situations that create criminals. You know, people don't come out of the womb as a criminal. Right. You know, it's your circumstance. It's like it's like uh, 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 Chairman Fred Jr. said. You know, when poverty comes in the front door, morality goes out the back. Mm. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I think we have a different idea and a different opinion of what, you know, what a, uh, a criminal is and why they're doing what they're doing. And so you do see more nuanced portrayals of criminals, you know, in, in modern films. And I'm glad you said that point, because that was the other thing I was going to say. If it were to be written today, Scorpio would be a more fleshed out character. You would probably, they would probably try to give him more of a backstory. They would probably even give him a name. Right. You know, so that when you get to the scene of, you know, um, Harry tracking him down and putting a boot literally on his ass, you know, said Mm -hmm. the audience would be like, yeah, but he does have rights. You can't do that. Fuck the police. I think that, <laughs> that's what would happen today. Yeah. They would they would engender more of that. Yes, he's done these heinous things, but he still has rights. Yeah. It's like, man. Yeah. That's the one thing. You can call me whatever. I don't care. But that is one thing that I'm like, look, that's something I appreciate about those movies. Not necessarily the vigilantism or anything like that, mm-hmm. but just the fact of like, no, he is wrong. And he is getting justice. Right. He's wronged other people against their will, so he's getting justice. Right. Fuck him. Right. He don't get nothing. In the movie Dirty Harry, you know, they catch Scorpio. They get the 12-year-old girl that Mm -hmm. he he kidnapped and raped and killed. But because he obtained the evidence in in an improper way, the the scope rifle that he shot the, the swimmer in the pool in the very opening sequence that Harry shot, I mean, that uh Scorpio shot. You, you can't prosecute him because it was obtained illegally. And he's mm. like, okay, man has rights. He's like, well, what about the 12-year-old girl's rights? That's what Harry tells the right. uh, exactly. the, uh, the, uh, the district attorney, uh, Joseph Summers' character. What about her rights? You mm-hmm. know? But um, you know what? It's funny. One thing, too, man, is like just in terms of a modern, a modern sensibilities or whatever. Yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> when Harry had gotten the shit kicked out of him by Scorpio... And he's laying on uh, his uh, lieutenant's couch. And he says, yeah, you, you got a shot of booze in here. And the lieutenant goes right in his drawer there to get the go. whiskey, yo. Pulls it right out in the middle of the day. Pours him a shot. Like, God damn, y'all doing shots at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? Hit me up, yo. Hit your boy up, yo. <laughs> That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. 
Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.